20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know, my guest, she's the one and only Carmen Vitale. You can find her on Twitter or X at Carmi V. Of course, you can find her on Fox Sports as the resident NFC North expert. And of course, our weekly friend here on the Pack a Day Podcast as well. Carmi, how the heck was your birthday, first of all? Happy belated <laughs> birthday. And how was your New Year's as well? Uh, thank you. It was great. I had a lovely dinner uh, and just walked the dog. And it was it was a, it was a really low key birthday, and I loved it. My New Year's was awesome too. It was also very low key, uh, being that it was an NFL Sunday. Uh, I had to work and cover the Packers Vikings game, which was in fact still in Sunday Night Football. So that was fun. Yeah, there's there's a time I was hoping that was going to get flexed out, maybe made an earlier game that, of course, did not happen. Ended up being an inter- entertaining game from a Packers standpoint, maybe not from an NFL or Vikings standpoint, but um, obviously a great result for the Packers. They get the big win on Minnesota. Disappointing performance from Minnesota in a must-win game. I think that probably goes without saying. Jaron Hall was not the answer in the first half. They have to make the, the switch in the second half to Nick Mullins. What were some of your key takeaways from Packers-Vikings this past week? Yeah, I think that the Vikings just kind of knew the writing was on the wall. The point in starting Jaron Hall was just to see if maybe you did uncover a gem in the fifth round. And not that they maybe haven't, but this is that wasn't enough of a sample size. We haven't gotten enough of a sample size of Jaron Hall. But uh, I was really impressed with the Packers' defense. They finally kind of answered the bell a little bit more as far as the pass rush was concerned. And it did wonders for the offense as well. The Packers were in control of that game for for almost all of it. Yeah, they really were. It was it was one of Green Bay's most impressive and dominant performance through the course of the season. Um, it was a disappointing performance from Minnesota, like we mentioned. Um, quarterbacks weren't great. There was a, a plethora of different penalties that Minnesota had in that game. Blown coverages. It was it was not the Vikings team that I certainly expected showing up to that game in a must win situation in prime time in Minnesota. But give credit to Green Bay. Give credit to, to Joe Barry um, coming off of a stretch where. He was highly criticized, I think understandably so, for his defense's performances over the course of the past few weeks prior to that. Um, This was much better. Uh, It felt like they had a more cohesive plan. It felt like everyone was on the same page. They got a couple turnovers, multiple pressures. Green Bay's offense was set up for success. Jordan Love had one of his better games, if not best games of the season. This is just outside the special teams, which had a couple snafus, probably the most complete performance for Green Bay in a a full four-quarter game. Yeah, that was Jordan Love's, I believe, highest passer rating of his season so far. Uh, but the second highest passer rating of his season so far came in week one against this week's opponent, Chicago Bears, which I think is a fun little circle, full, full circle moment for Jordan Love Packers right now staring down this playoff opportunity with just the Chicago Bears to run through. Let's walk through that because I know you wrote an article this week about how the Packers have put together this late push for a playoff spot. It's it's been a really interesting ride for Green Bay where early in the season, two and five, you're like, oh, they have there's no chance. Like they're not gonna make the any sort of playoff push. 
Then they get those three big wins in the middle of the season um, where, and then it's looking like, Oh, well, they've got five games left. They probably only need to go like three and two and they're easily going to get in. And it looks like they're like, they're almost a shoe in for the playoffs. Then they lose two games to the the giants and the Buccaneers. And then you're right back from where you started. Like, Nope, Nope, not going to be a playoff team. Then they win two games and you're right back on it. And you're like, Hey, one win and they're in. Um, how has this all come together for green Bay? Yeah, I listen, it's it was going to be an up and down year. We knew that going into it. You have a new first year starter and you have a very you have the youngest roster in the league. This was always going to be an up and down year, but all you were kind of hoping for was that it was going to end on a high note rather than one of the lows. And that's so far what's been happening. I think that this was really on it met every expectation I had for the Packers season and surpassed them as well. This is a better team than it was last year with Aaron Rodgers under center, which is kind of a wild thing to, to consider. Uh, Jordan Love has had a better first season than Aaron Rodgers did, if you want us to keep the comparisons going. Yeah. But even if the Packers don't get into the playoffs, you and provided they actually do make a change at defensive coordinator and kind of try to fix the defensive issues that they've had for the past couple of years – few years, depending on who you ask. Uh, I have to think that there's nothing but optimism going forward for this Green Bay team and how they are going to be immediate contenders for the division title as soon as the next season in 2024, regardless of what happens on Sunday. And I think a large part of that is due to the prog- you know progress and progression of, of Jordan Love through the course of the season. First of all, Kudos to you, who at the beginning of the season uh, went out on a limb and said, hey, I think he can be like not just any guy. I think he can be the next like the guy in Green Bay. They found another one. Um, I know that there was a semi-controversial take at the time, but uh, it is seemingly becoming you know more and more to fruition as every single week goes on. Uh, he continues to look the part. Um, and you mentioned just a second ago how Jordan is outplaying Aaron from a season ago. Uh, it was one of those things that I'd been thinking about for a while. And like a month ago, finally, I pulled the the, the trigger and I, I tweeted it out. And I'm like, we're all on the same page that Jordan's outplaying Aaron from last year. And I just sort of braced for impact because you know how those things can like immediately like fire everyone sure. up and be like, well, all this. And it was like, there wasn't really any pushback. I mean, there's always going to be a couple, but everyone seemed to be on the same page. And that was like a month ago. And now it's even exponentially more the case. Um, this has been a really impressive year for Jordan Love. It really has. And you can absolutely see the fact that he was able to sit back, observe whatever you think about the guy. I certainly have my thoughts about the guy. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And Jordan Love got to sit back and watch that day in and day out. He got to learn the offense in a very low pressure situation, almost no pressure situation. And you're seeing that in the way that he's making his decisions and the way that he can make his reads, the command that he has of the offense. That was always going to take a while because it's a team sport. It doesn't matter necessarily how, it only doesn't solely matter how far along Jordan Love is. It also depends on his first and second year receivers getting the offensive line combination right. This all needed to come together, and that was just going to take time. I think you and I talked about it so many times. I said it so I was blue in the face this season. It's not the sexy take. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And to be quite honest, now the hindsight 2020, you look back on this, Getting the Packers to this point where they are fourth in offensive passing DVOA at this point in the season within within one singular season is incredible. 
it is it, it is a true accomplishment and it speaks to the coaching staff, the personnel staff, the people in that building and the team itself. So I, I never imagined that I was going to be saying this many good things about the Green Bay Packers rounding out the season that I knew was going to be an up and down season. I think we all did, but it's so incredibly impressive. And what Jordan Love has been able to do and the quarterback that he is turning into cannot be overstated the impressiveness of all of that. You bring up the ability to learn behind Aaron Rodgers. I think that one of the first things that goes under the radar is how young Jordan Love still is. He was younger than some of the quarterbacks that just came out in this past year's draft. I think the other things that, um, you know, we just kind of have to analyze there. There are very few first time starting quarterbacks, if any. I mean, Stroud's probably the only one even in the conversation that are doing some of the things that Jordan has been able to do this season. And what I mean by that is some of the stuff um, anticipating what defenses are going to do, reading defenses, making checks at the line of scrimmage, having answers to all the things that Minnesota asked of him this week. And really it's been multiple games now through the course of this season, playing at the high level he has. I mean, what do we have? Desmond Ritter, Bryce Young, Tyson Bagent, Sam Howell, Tommy DeVito, Will Levis, Aiden O'Connell, um, uh, sort of Kenny Pickett, although uh, there's obviously he's, he's played a little bit last year. Um, you know, and then you have Stroud. Like, there's been so many first time starting quarterbacks this season. It it's shouldn't be surprising that the player that got to sit for a few years and had the ability to learn an offense and sit behind a Hall of Famer is the one that looks in a lot of ways light years ahead of some of those other ones who a lot of those guys still look like a deer in headlights when they're faced with a lot of the same predicaments that Jordan Love has been put in, but he's been able to find answers to the the questions that have been posed of him. I think this game against Minnesota too was especially encouraging given the fact that he did look like Jordan Love did look like a deer in the headlights in week eight in their first go around against this Brian Flores defense that was firing on most that had started to come into its own a little bit more. Now you come back, you circle back, you see what Jordan Love has learned. You see how much he's improved and what he's been able to see and the experience he's been able to gain, which he, he never looked flustered against that defense on this last weekend. It was really just incredible to see the fact that he really does improve every single week. He doesn't make the same mistakes twice and he learns from absolutely every outing and treats each outing as something really important to move him along in his development. And that was the most encouraging thing for me to see was yes, him getting to the line, making checks, audibly based on what Brian Flores' defense is doing pre-snap, but then also post-snap he's checking into different things post-snap because Brian Flores' defense is not behaving the same way that they are showing before the snap. It's, it, it's a calling card of his defense. It's what makes it, a lot of it so hard to go against. And to see Jordan Love be able to make those post-snap reads and make those good decisions against a defense that is so complex and confusing, even if it wasn't their best outing, that was really encouraging for me to see Jordan Love make those decisions and learn from this, this the first go around. I could not agree more. That's what I've been most impressed by from Jordan this entire season is 
his ability to learn from his mistakes and continue to get better week after week. The learning in real time has been so impressive. And you just see him. You see it like something that challenged him earlier in the season is not giving him any troubles You know, later in the year. Those are sort of things that just don't always happen. And his ability to kind of learn from those mistakes and grow from it have just been next level. And that gives me a ton of hope and um, you know, optimism for what he can continue to be moving forward and trying to reach that ultimate ceiling that we think he can become. Um, let's take a spin around the rest of the NFC North because it was a fairly eventful week, starting with Cowboys, Lions, and a very eventful, controversial end to that game. Um, your thoughts on that and uh, how the Lions lost a, a tough game to the Dallas Cowboys? Listen, every football guy answer is going to tell you that it should have never come down to that, right? Like they, The Lions did not play their best game. They had left a ton of plays out there. But at the same time, we laud teams for being able to pull things out of the, of the hat uh, said something else there. <laughs> Pull things out of the hat when things weren't going their way initially. And there's something to be said about teams that can still pull it together. And the Lions should have been able to pull that together. It's absolutely maddening that there was no responsibility taken by NFL officiating or by the league itself. Even if there were some signs that Dan Skipper reported and all that other stuff, what we're hearing is Taylor Decker, Dan Skipper, Jared Goff, Dan Campbell, all saying the same thing. The ref saying something else. And yet we're going to go with that. I just, it's, it's completely maddening, especially when you consider that Dan Campbell told the refs what this play was going to be and how it works prior to the game. This is something that all NFL coaches do. They meet with the officials about 90 minutes before every game. And they have a laundry list of things to talk about, including trick plays, including the scouting things that they've seen for their, op- their opponent that week. Uh, you know, if somebody lines up off the line routinely wrong or one guy is a holding machine. I've known staff to give these refs cut-ups of, of what they've scouted from other teams or cut-ups of their trick plays so they can see exactly how it worked. Dan Campbell himself told everyone that he wrote out on a piece of paper how this play worked, who was going to be reporting, what was going on. There is no excuse to not see that and to then, uh, like, even if right at the, in the moment you thought Dan Skipper reported, you can still change your mind as the play unfolds. You don't have to throw that flag because that flag was thrown after the play. And I just, it's, it's, it's maddening. I feel so badly for the Lions. I feel so badly for their fans. This could end up being very costly as far as seating goes. And I just, it, it sucks. It really does. But the Lions are persevering anyway. And the silver lining of all of this is, the team got the reinforcement, not that they needed it, of how much Dan Campbell is behind them and how much he's willing to fight for them. I mean, he was – that was an all-timer if you saw that press conference. Yeah. He, like, angrily, like, got a piece of paper to, like, spit out his dip because he was just so beside himself. It was – the the way that Dan Campbell expresses emotion and the way that he coaches his team is the way that he is normally, and that's just – a guy that you want to run through a wall for. And so that was on full display this week. So if you can take anything away from it, uh, at least you got to see how fired up Dan Campbell can be and why these lions can really make noise. The team is such a image of their head coach and how he coaches and uh, what he expects of them. It's a, it's a fun team to watch. It was a disappointing uh, end result to that game where you just don't want the controversy and unfortunately, there was controversy. And it's a great example of just like the cover-ups always worse than the mistake. Like if the ref makes a mistake and you own it afterwards and say, hey, you know what? We screwed this one up. It's on us. We're sorry. 
And I don't know if the NFL is like worried about like a team like protesting the game then or something. So that's just it behooves them to just deny everything. Like, I don't know I, what I it is, know. but if, if they just own it and they say, you, you know what? Yep. We, we misinterpreted what they were trying to do. We misinterpreted who they were trying to say was eligible. Um, they were clearly trying to cause some confusion. It caught us off guard. We should have done a better job of communicating that and double checking everything. Like it just, it goes away almost immediately. And instead, you know, it's a week later and everyone's still talking about it. So it's just kind of the classic, just own up to it and it goes away probably more than anything else. But instead in classic NFL fashion, now every other NFL team has to be told of how to report eligible because of the NFL's initial mistake in the first place. That, uh, that is another thing too. I'm like, okay, what we're not going to do is then reprimand every team based on a mistake that the, the official made. And that officiating crew too, getting rewarded with another playoff game, another important, impl- or not playoff game, I should say, but a primetime game yeah. with with implications, with important implications is baffling to me, especially when I then asked sources of mine around the league, like, is Brad Allen's crew like that notorious? Do you like, are they that bad? And I was told that initially they weren't when, when Brad Allen first got the white hat, but in the years since they have become a bottom five crew and quote, you never know what you're going to get with them. And it's true. And I don't understand why we keep rewarding them with important games. Hey friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found Game Time. Game Time is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. Game Time is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using Game Time, stress free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. 
I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. From a Packers standpoint, he did not call the MVS pass interference penalty and he cost the Lions a football game. So we're, we're big fans of Brad Allen. At this sure, point. sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm sure uh, somebody in the comments. Until it goes, it goes, yeah, until it goes yeah. the wrong way for the yeah, Packers. I'm, say, I'm sure there's been some. I think there have been some too. Um, he might have been. I think there was actually a pretty big one that he was in. I'm just forgetting it off the top of my head. But either way, neither here nor there. A crazy uh, Cowboys-Lions game. All right, uh, let's talk about Bears-Falcons because uh, this team that Green Bay is getting set to face in Chicago, it's a really interesting season for them. And obviously the most recent one is they win against the Atlanta Falcons by 20. That first three weeks of the year, they lose 38-20 to to Green Bay, 27-17 to to Tampa, 41-10 to to Kansas City. And it looks really, really bad at that point. Now, even they, they lose the next week to Denver as well, but they lose by three to Denver in week four. So after the week three, week four, they lose to Denver by three, beat Washington by 20, lose to Minnesota by six with Tyson Bajant at quarterback, beat Vegas by 18. Then they lose this. Their one really bad one is they lose to the Chargers by 17 with still Tyson Bajant at quarterback. They lose to the Saints by seven, beat the Panthers by three, lose to the Lions by five, beat the Vikings by two, beat Detroit by 15, lose to the uh, Browns by three, beat the Cardinals by 11, the the, uh, Falcons by 20. Since week four, every single game, save for the Chargers game with Tyson Bajant at quarterback, has either been a win or a one-score game. Um, Since that Kansas City game, even if you want to go back to week four when they started 0-4, they are now 7-5 in their last 12 games. They are uh, 5-2 in their last seven games with Justin Fields as quarterback. The Montez Sweat trade has worked, but uh, more specifically, before we jump into Packers-Bears a little bit later, they get a big win against Atlanta. Um, For the moment, kept their slight, slight playoff hopes alive. They did not get a Vikings-Packers tie like they needed, Um, but this has been a totally different Bears team. It has, and again, this was one of those things where you just kind of needed to see incremental improvement. That was going to be the name of the game this year because they are in the middle of a rebuild. This is the second year of a total teardown, rebuild, everything. And I know that we want an immediate return on our investment and we want these teams to be able to turn over very quickly. That's not how it works most of the time. There are exceptions, of course. There's exceptions to everything. But this is pretty much the timeline that I believe Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles sold to Bears ownership saying, listen, this is probably going to be a three-year process. We're going to do this the right way so we can set ourselves up for sustained success. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Now you have to figure out if Justin Fields is a part of that, if Matt Eberflus is a part of that in, a long term, uh, in, in, in the long term, because while he may be expected to come back in 2024, according to the reports, you don't want to draft a new quarterback again in, and have him in, in a lame duck year with the head coach and he gets fired a year later. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case. And I think that sticking with the bear with the, with Matt Eberflus, they should do that for the next few years, especially if they end up drafting a new quarterback 
and to Matty Rippler's credit, his defense is working. I know it's come against some some worse teams or some teams that don't have a lot to play off, play for, not playoff teams. But at the same time, if we're going to count that as a as wins for Justin Fields, which so many people do, uh, then we need to count that as wins for Matt Eberflus. It's hard to win games in this league, especially when you're still putting things together and things haven't been going great for the rest of the season. To kind of put through put put this run on towards the end of the season, it is impressive. I don't care who they played; it's impressive to win games, and I think that the Bears can kind of skate through uh, by keeping most things status quo. But I do, I have been vocal about the fact that I think that with the opportunity they have now with the number one overall pick, it's too good of a situation. It's too unique of a situation to pass up because this number one overall pick would be coming into a very good team. And that is usually not the case. So they have so many decisions to make there's so many dynamics to this decision it's very complex it is not just if you believe in justin fields or not and i've wrote, written most, multiple articles on fox sports saying that is it's a it's a consideration of course that is not the end all be all it is not as simple as that and i i kind of t- turn myself around i think every time i talk about this because there are so many things to factor in when you are trying to make this decision that are going to affect the franchise for the next few years, not just next year, the next few years. They're sitting in an incredible position, but a super challenging position. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to screw this up too much because they've, and I say this as following a a Bears team that's obviously screwed these up in multiple times in their history, but if they go with Justin Fields, they kind of go with what they have already. They're going to have their first round pick. They've got the number one overall pick that they probably trade for probably three plus first round picks and get a ton of capital in return for that and really build out what could be a potential like juggernaut team that surrounding Justin Fields. Um, if they go with a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or whomever, whichever quarterback they want to go with, um, they probably trade Justin Fields. They still have their first round pick, some seconds from Carolina. And now they trade Justin Fields for potentially, I don't know, maybe a first round pick, second round pick, whatever it is, get more capital from that trade as well. Like either way, they're they're set up pretty darn well. And if they go with the rookie, now they've got a rookie quarterback with a really exciting team around him. And that quarterback's not making any money um, being on the first year of his contract, which we know is like right. a cheat code. So like they have got a ton of options. It's interesting in that it does feel like the better upside and the better long-term play and the smarter play is going with the quarterback at number one, getting them on the cheap deal and resetting the quarterback clock. But at the same token um, has definitely the more like bust odds. Like you just don't know what you're going to get from a rookie quarterback and you could bring them in and it could just be a quarterback that does not work out in the NFL. And it's great that you've got everything around it, but you're almost looking at like Trubisky situation 2.0. It's a really, really interesting dynamic. I'm so intrigued to see what direction they go in. You're going to see basically Ryan Poles' uh, philosophy on team building is going to be on full display because you're going to see whether he goes high risk, high reward. But also, if you are saving money at the quarterback position, that means that you can take known commodities in free agency to help build your team and, and infuse your team with more experience because the Bears are a very young team as well? Or do you go with Justin Fields because you're not sold on Matt Eberflus and you don't want 
a new quarterback coming in during a lame duck year for the head coach? And do you not pick up his fifth year option? So you prolong this evaluation for another year, but then you get the draft capital from trading out of the number one overall pick. And now you're rolling the dice with all of those draft picks. So you're rolling the dice either way. There is a ton of risk involved either way. And then I I didn't even mention, if you do pick up Justin Fields' fifth-year option, then committing to paying him $25 million in 2025, no matter what. And then eventually, if you're going to go that route, that route leads to a $45 million give-or-take contract every per year for the long term. That is the goal in picking up Justin's fifth-year option is to get him to his second contract. Yeah, which is going to be huge. And that has implications two, three, four years down the line, just as resetting the quarterback clock allows you to stave off that kind of contract for two, three, four, five years. And that's where you're going to see Ryan Poles and what he believes in, whether he wants to take known commodities and proven talent, or if he's comfortable rolling the dice on his evaluation in the draft. That's what we're going to see here. But it's fascinating. And like you said, or alluded to, I don't necessarily know that there's a really wrong answer. Uh, And I want to encourage Bears Twitter and Bears fans who have been at war with each other over this to just take a step back and realize that everybody wants the Bears to be good. That is, that is, that is, it's, it's a matter of how they get there. But the ultimate goal is the same across Bears Twitter. It's the same for Bears fans. It's the same in the NFC North. Everyone wants Every, the teams to be good. I feel like the Packers want the Bears to be good because then this rivalry becomes a rivalry again. And it's not so one-sided and it's not such a given. I mean, I'm sure the Packers, some Packers fans would push back on that. But at the same time, I think for a football fan, uh, the Bears and Packers both being good is just so much better. And I want that for Chicago. I want that for these franchises, for a storied franchise. And I want that for Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears rivalry, which we get another installment of this week. We will. It should be an awesome game this week. And that's a perfect transition. Your thoughts on Packers Bears this week. How is this game going to go? And what are the kind of the keys to the game? Uh, it's, I'm very interested to see how much pressure Joe Barry's defense is going to be able to get on Justin Fields because he is an escape artist. And there's, there's not a whole lot of defending Justin Fields when he decides to kind of turn it on and, and roll out of pressure and, and be able to escape with his legs. You have to keep him contained as much as possible, and that's going to be really key. But at the same time, Jordan Love is going to get a test against this Bears defense, but the Bears defense is also getting a test against Jordan Love. That's, that's the place we're at right now with Jordan Love, who does have command of this offense and has improved, like we were talking about, so much since earlier in the season. And Jordan Love beat the Bears earlier in the season he beat the bears in his first game and he had a his second highest passer rating of the year so this is a team that he's familiar with he understands the 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 rivalry implications of all this and then also the packers have everything to play for in a playoff spot and jordan love has the opportunity to do something that aaron Rodgers didn't last year in the almost exact same situation which is the really fun like the real fun part um, which I have an article up on FoxSports.com explaining that. So it's really going to be, I think, a really – it's going to be a dogfight. I don't I, – I can't definitely say that I think the Packers are going to win. I can't definitely say that the Bears are going to win. This seems like one of those true rivalry games now, and I feel like it's going to be a really good one. I do too. I can't wait to go to it. I think it's going to be, uh, like you said, a dogfight. I think it could go either direction – 
Um, obviously hoping that Green Bay pulls out the win. I'm leaning in that direction for my pick as we, we kind of go through the week. Green Bay's got more injuries to fight through. Chicago's got some injuries as well. Uh, but this sure. is going to be a really fun classic Packers-Bears matchup. I think the Bears are going to point to what the Lions did last year and then how they kind of followed that up with an NFC North championship this year. Um, right. uh, yeah, I think this is going to be one of the more fun games on the schedule this year. You've got these, these fans do not like each other on Packers and bears Twitter. Um, the rivalry's in a good spot, even if the green Bay Packers have owned it as of late. And I'm sure the, the bears would love nothing more than to change that around and knock the Packers out of the playoffs this time around. Yeah, that was what they were looking to do week one and thinking that, you know, the boogeyman was gone and that meant that they had a clear path into this getting back into this rivalry. And that hasn't been the case. And Jordan love has been the main reason for that. So I'm very excited to see Jordan Love, but I'm also very excited to see what this Bears defense tries to do against him because I do think it's going to be a really good test for them and to see just how much uh, Matt Eberflus's unit has improved. So much so that, I mean, there it's, it's been a lot of talk on Bears radio uh, or on, on Chicago radio in with amongst Bears Twitter. If Matt Eberflus loses this game, does that change? Does that qualify as a meltdown? Does that change the expectation that he's brought back next year with how, you know, the, this rivalry means a lot to the Bears ownership. Um, they're not shy about that. And these coach, this coaching staff and personnel staff, they've told the players, the players have all bought in on this. And that's because of the staff saying how much this means. So I just, I can't wait to see what happens. And I can't wait to see the implications of this one game. And it's not a playoff game, but it, it has all of the storylines and stakes and, and, and all the glitz and glamour of a playoff game, which you can't ask for anything more uh, in, in week 18 because a lot of times these games don't matter. <laughs> yeah, you can't. CBS, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, um, core group. It's, it's going to be an important one. It's going to be a fun one, and I cannot wait to be there. Carmen, amazing stuff as always. Where can we find all of your incredible work, and where can we find you on social media? Uh, all of my articles appear on foxsports.com and you can find me on social media at CarmyV, which I think is down here somewhere. <laughs> Make sure to go give her a follow. She's the absolute best. You can find me, of course, at Andy Herman NFL. You can find the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Paco. Go Paco.